God, you are our healer. You know what's broken. We are not a mystery to you. What a truth that is, especially today. We're in a sermon series on margin. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about scheduling margin. Last week, we talked about financial margin. This week, we're going to talk about moral margin. Trying to build some breathing space into our lives. But today, we're going to try and build some space between us and sin. 1 Thessalonians 4, this is what God says about you. Let's read this verse out loud together. God wants you to be pure and to keep clear of all sexual sin. For God has not called us to be dirty-minded and full of lust, but to be holy and clean. God wants you to be pure, holy, and clean. I tell you, as I read that verse, I think, is that even possible in this impure, polluted world that we live in? Is it even possible? The answer is it must be possible because God doesn't call us, command us to do something that's not possible. And so God must be giving us a way to do this. And we just need to look in the Bible and discover what it is. So today I want to give you six ways to build moral margin into your life. First thing, it begins when you make a commitment to God's standard. Psalm 119.9 says, How can anyone keep his way pure? By living according to your word. See, at the very start, you've got to recognize and resolve this issue in your mind. Who is going to be the authority in my life? What am I going to base my life upon? Am I going to make a commitment to God's word as my standard for living? Or am I going to make up my own standard? Or am I going to follow the standard of the world? You know, am I more committed to what God says will meet my needs? Or am I more committed to what I think will meet my needs? Does God know more about my life or do I know more about my life? That's the question that you've got to resolve. And God says things in his word that aren't very popular. God says things particularly about sex that you may not like. Why? Because he knows more about sex than you do. He understands the implications more than you do. And so I've got to make the decision. I've got to decide. Am I going to trust and obey God or not? It starts with that commitment. And until you're willing to make that kind of commitment to God and His Word, you're not ready to be pure in an impure world because you can only be pure by following God's standard. When it comes to sex, God invented it, God thought the whole thing up, and God tells us that sex is far more than physical. Sex is a spiritual act with spiritual consequences. And that's why the Bible says that sex is exclusively reserved for a husband and a wife committed to each other in a marriage relationship. And anything sexual outside of those boundaries, before marriage, outside of marriage, anything else, will have profound consequences in your life. When you ignore God's parameters on sex, when you think you know more about sex than God does, you're setting yourself up. Setting yourself up for regret, bitterness, and failure. Because God has established some rules for living. And when we obey those rules, we win. When we violate those rules, we suffer the consequences. But God wants us to benefit from sex, not be wounded by it. Sex is not bad or dirty. It is holy and sacred. And too many people are trying to get God to sanction their sexual woundedness. But sex must be used according to God's rules. And to remain pure in a polluted world, you must make the commitment to do this God's way, in God's time, with God's person. That's where it starts. 
And once you've made that commitment, regardless of the mistakes you've made in your past, then you're ready to move on to step number two. If I'm going to have moral margin in my life, I must manage my mind. Because the battle for purity begins, in the, it's won or lost in your mind. Proverbs 4.23 says, be careful how you think. Your life is shaped by your thoughts. Proverbs 23.19, keep your mind on what is right. An unguarded mind tends to fill up with garbage. And so you need to manage what you let into your mind. You see somebody making a mess out of their life? It didn't start with their actions. It started with their thoughts. They were thinking dumb thoughts long before they started doing dumb things. Because that's where it begins. You know, their actions may seem sudden, but it's been in their mind for a long time. You know, this is the pattern of how immorality happens in our lives. You don't just come home one day and say, oh, I slipped into an affair. No, it starts with accepting sinful thoughts into my mind. What would it be like to be with that person? Would it really be so wrong? Did God really say not to even think about it? And you start having doubts about what God said, and you start fantasizing in your mind. And people think there's nothing wrong with fantasizing about another person. You think it's harmless, but it's not, because those thoughts produce feelings. They produce feelings of excitement and enticement. That's why you think them, because they're exciting and enticing. And those thoughts eventually lead to feelings, and those feelings lead to actions. But it starts by accepting sinful thoughts into my mind. Second step is an emotional, non-physical involvement. You develop an emotional attachment to the person. It starts out as friendship, but it develops into something deeper. And you cross an emotional boundary. Thoughts have now led to inappropriate feelings, gone from thinking to feeling. Number three, feeling leads to physical involvement. You start crossing physical boundaries. You begin to act on the thoughts and the emotions, the fantasies. It's not enough to stimulate the mind and emotions. You begin to do things that are physical. You begin touching each other physically, often innocently, maybe even accidentally at first, a pat on the back, a casual hug, holding hands. But once that physical boundary is breached, it quickly accelerates. And then you move into step four. That's where you start rationalizing your actions. We tell ourselves rational lies that justify our actions. We create excuses and alibis for our actions. We minimize the sin in our minds. If you don't want to wind up in that situation, you must begin with managing your mind because it starts in the mind. 2 Timothy 2.22 says, Turn your back on lustful thoughts and give your positive attention to goodness, integrity, love, and peace. You turn your back, circle that, turn your back. That's how you break a temptation. Long before you act wrong, you're thinking wrong. And so you stop those lustful thoughts and you turn your back on what you're thinking about. That implies that it's a choice, and it is. It's your choice to stop thinking those things. If I want moral margin in my life, number three, I must monitor my media intake. Now, Proverbs 15, 14 says, the fool feeds on trash. It's interesting, that verse was written thousands of years before Hollywood, TV, and the internet. By the time a preschooler gets to kindergarten, he has spent more time watching TV than he will spend in college. By the time a child finishes high school, he will have spent 18,000 hours watching TV and only 12,000 hours in school. 
One year of TV, you will be exposed to over 14,000 sexual encounters. 91% of all sex portrayed on TV is sex outside of marriage. Sex on TV is for the unmarried and the promiscuous. And then we wonder why there are one million illegitimate teenage births every year in America. It's because we're feeding our teens moral trash. Television, shock jock radio, movies, magazines, the internet, they lower your resistance to what's right and what's wrong. Hollywood gets you to laugh at things that God says aren't funny. Television glamorizes sin and, and, and makes it look like it's fun. A couple of verses you ought to memorize. Psalm 119.37 Keep me from paying attention to what is worthless. Psalm 101.3 I will refuse to look at anything vile and vulgar. You know, maybe you ought to put those verses up on your computer monitor or put them on your TV or TV remote. I refuse to look at anything vile, vulgar, and worthless. You need to monitor your media intake. Number four, if I want moral margin, I must minimize the opportunity for temptation. Notice it says the opportunity for temptation. It does not say the opportunity for sin because the goal is not to put the guardrail right at the edge it's not to keep you from sinning. The goal is to keep yourself from being tempted to sin. You build in that moral margin that exists between when you're tempted to when you sin. You know, I don't place myself in a situation where I might even be tempted to sin. You, if you don't want to get stung, you stay away from the bees. You don't want to get burned, don't play with fire. Now, how do I minimize temptation in my life? First, I recognize what tempts me. You know, what are my areas of weakness? 1 Corinthians 10, 12, be careful. If you're thinking, oh, I'd never behave like that, let this be a warning to you. For you, too, may fall into sin. You've got to know the warning signs of temptation so you can bail out early, long before you get to sin. You want to be aware. You want to be wise. You want to be alert. And a common myth is, is the longer I'm a believer, the less I'll be tempted. That is not true. Listen, folks, Satan has one goal for your life. He wants to destroy your life. And he doesn't care how long it takes. In fact, the longer you have been a believer, the bigger a prize you become to him when you fall. And so if you think, oh, I'm, I'm too mature for that. I've been a believer too long. I won't be tempted in that area. Don't fool yourself. If you're saying that, you're setting yourself up to be tempted. You're setting yourself up for the fall. The Bible says the heart is deceitful, and given the right set of circumstances, I'm capable of any sin, and so are you. Given the right circumstances, you and I could commit any sin. And if you think that's not true, then you are vulnerable. The Bible says, let him who stands take heed lest he fall. You've got to recognize what tempts you and stay away from the temptation, not just the sin. Build in moral margin to keep you from falling. Second, you must choose your friends carefully. Bad companions ruin good character. You know, if I ask one of these guys in the front to come up here and grab my hand, is it easier for them to pull me down off the platform or for me to pull them up onto the platform? It's always easier to pull somebody down than it is to try and pull somebody up. That's why the Bible says that when we're dealing with people who, who have fallen, that we've got to be careful when we're helping them up that we don't fall too. You, know, you need to choose your companions carefully. Your best friends need to be ones who are pulling you up, not ones who are pulling you down. Most affairs occur between couples who already know each other. 
And so you need to make sure that your friends are as committed to their marriage as you are committed to yours. Otherwise, you're setting yourself up for temptation and a fall. Number three, you need to establish some protective guidelines in your life. You need common sense guidelines about how you will interact with people of the opposite sex. Ephesians 5.3 says, But among you there must not even be a hint of sexual immorality. Not even a hint. And so you've got to set up some guidelines in your personal life. You need to set up guidelines on how you deal with people at the office or people at work. Your offices are great places for budding romances and affairs. You know, you go into the office, everybody's putting forth their best effort, everybody looks nice, everybody smells nice. I mean, everybody's looking fine at work. But you go home, you let it all hang out. And your belly's sticking out of a t-shirt with holes in it. You're burping and passing gas. You're scratching yourself, picking your nose. Your husband, he's even worse. When you go to work, you're both looking fine. You smell fine. You talk fine. I mean, and you are very vulnerable to temptation. And if you think you're not, you're even more vulnerable. So you need to set some guidelines to protect you. You need to build in moral margin at work. You know, as a church staff, we've set guidelines and standards for how we're going to interact with people of the opposite sex. Because we want to minimize the opportunity for temptation. We want to minimize the opportunity for misunderstanding. We want to eliminate the opportunity for false accusation. And so we have very strict, very, very tough standards that protect us as a staff and protect us as a church. Number five, to build moral margin, I need to maintain my marriage. Because a healthy, growing marriage relationship will reduce the attraction of adultery and it reduces the allure of all other kinds of impurity. Ecclesiastes 9.9 says, Enjoy life with your wife whom you love. Circle the word enjoy. God wants you to enjoy your spouse, not endure your spouse. And the reason why people get tempted after they're married is we stop dating in marriage. All the things we did before we got married, we get too busy and we stop doing the things that will keep the romance and the attraction going. Part of the dilemma is men tend to be hunters. Men are goal-oriented, achievement-oriented. A guy gets to a certain age, he thinks, I need to get me a wife. And so he pursues and woos and spends a tremendous amount of effort and energy trying to win this woman. And during this stage, men do really strange things for men, like read poetry and go to the opera and buy flowers and bathe. (laughs) And then the moment you get a ring on her finger and say, I do, a a guy thinks, mission accomplished. Hey, this this has been achieved. Now I've got to provide for her and the children that will follow. And so he takes the effort that he spent in wooing her and he turns it to his work. His attention and energy shift from wooing to working. Now guys, that's very natural, but it is not healthy. It creates all kinds of problems. And we need to recognize, yeah, that's my tendency, but but you've got to fight that. Because what happens is the woman is thinking, hey, 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 wait, where's the opera? Where's the flowers? Where's the candy? Where's the poetry? She's thinking bait and switch. Okay? And he's thinking bait and switch too. 
Before we got married, she couldn't keep her hands off me. Now she doesn't have any time for me. Because the woman's priorities shift from the husband uh, to the home, to the kids, to the house, and maybe to her career. And so we have to put as much energy into courting in the marriage as we did to begin the marriage. The Bible's very clear about maintaining your marriage. 1 Corinthians 7 says, A husband should not deprive his wife of sexual intimacy, which is her right as a married woman, nor should the wife deprive her husband. Do not cheat each other of normal sexual relations, or you will expose yourself to the obvious temptation of Satan. You know, when, when, when the romance, when the physical intimacy starts to go out of the marriage, you start to set yourself up for the temptation of Satan. And you know, that temptation is not just that you'll go have sex with somebody else. The temptation, guys, is, is that you will get so focused on your work that you will neglect your wife and your family and your marriage will fail. Ladies, the temptation is, is that you will get so focused on taking care of those kids that you will neglect your husband and the marriage will fail. That's what Satan wants. He wants to destroy your marriage. Now, with this sex thing in marriage, the longer I pastor, the more I realize that most people come into marriage with tremendous sexual wounds. Most people come into that marriage relationship. As children, they've been abused and molested. They've been exposed to pornography and perversion. As teens, they had immature and improper relationships. They've had premarital, casual, or experimental sex. In many cases, there's been rape or violent violation. And so we enter into the marriage not based on purity and innocence and joy. We come in tainted with deep and serious wounds in our sexuality. And dealing with these wounds in your life and in the life of your spouse is exactly what you promised to do in the marriage vows. When you promised that you would help each other in sickness and in health, that didn't just mean that you would hold each other's head when you got the flu. It meant that you were willing to wade into those deep hurts that each of you brought into the marriage and work and move toward health. And that may mean you need to go to counseling and deal with those hurts and wounds. If your spouse is struggling sexually, you have an obligation to work on that together as a couple. It's not just her problem. Babe, you need to go get fixed. It's not just his problem. You need to quit doing that. No. It is something you need to work on as a couple. That's what it means to be one flesh. And it may mean that you need to go to counseling together and get professional help to work through the wounds that you have. The Bible says we need to treat one another with due consideration in this area of sex within marriage. Wives, if you expect your husband to have eyes only for you, if you expect him to remain sexually and physically committed to you once a month, or less, it's not going to be enough sex. A guy needs more sex than that to remain pure. Guys, if you're going to get a woman to have sex with you more often than that, you need to be nice to her. You, and that's right. That's right. You got it. I mean, I see guys being rude to their wives and being mean and barking orders or neglecting them or not paying attention to them, taking them for granted. And I think, man, you are just shooting yourself in the foot. What are you thinking be nice to her every day. I'll, I'll slip up sometimes and something will come out of my mouth that I wish I hadn't said. Or, or man, I especially hate it on date night when, when you know, I do something dumb and I just think, oh, what was I thinking? I blew it there. 
No, you've got to be nice to her. Wives, be nice to your husband. You need to maintain your marriage, and it'll build moral margin into your life. Number six, you want to magnify the consequences of sin. Magnify the consequences of sin. Don't minimize them. As a pastor, I I hear the heartache of unfaithfulness, illicit relationships, sexual escapades outside of marriage, the hurts and wounds that come from porn. I've seen the broken hearts and the rejection. I've, I've dealt with the broken families, the devastated children. I've dealt with people with STDs and AIDS. I mean, I've watched people die as a result of their immorality. You know, nothing damages our emotions more than sexual sin. And God made you to be a sexual being. He made you a woman. He made you a man. And God says that's good. And since your sexuality invades every single part of your life, it's not just a physical act. It is a spiritual act. And when you violate the spiritual aspect, it has profound consequences in your life. The Bible says anyone who commits adultery doesn't have any sense. He is destroying himself. Immorality may cost your life. I mean, that's literally true with STDs and AIDS. Hollywood is sensationalized and glamorized sex so much, they rarely show the devastation that it causes. But the truth is, when sex is not used properly, when it's abused and misused, it always has serious implications. And God has established these boundaries to protect you from that pain. Now, regardless of what's happened in your past, God offers you a fresh start today, a chance to start over, a chance to come clean and be pure for the rest of your life. I've been married to my wife, Katie, for 39 years. By God's grace, she's the only woman I've ever known. And by God's grace, my plan is she'll be the only woman I ever know. And I am intentionally and intently building moral margin into my life so that will be the case. Why in the world would I make a commitment like that? I mean, everything and everybody around me is saying, ah, don't sweat it, it's no big deal. 91% of the stuff on TV says, hey, you know, just do whatever you want. Truth is, I don't watch much TV. You know, I've got a set of Dick Van Dyke DVDs, watch some John Wayne movies and a little Duck Dynasty, and that's about it for me. Yeah, that's this. Um... My grandkids think I look like Uncle Cy. <laughs> hey, Jack. Three reasons. Three reasons why I make the commitments that I make. Number one, I love Jesus Christ. Christ gave his life for me. I owe everything to Jesus Christ. And Jesus said, if I love him, I will obey his commandments. Second reason is I love my wife. I love my kids. I love my grandkids. I love you. I love this church. And I recognize the damage that it would do if I were to fall morally. I realize what it would do to my family, the pain it would cause them, the pain it would cause this church. And that pain is unbearable to me to the point where those things hold no allure because I recognize the poison that they are and I focus on the pain that it would cause. And number three, because I fear the judgment of God. It's a healthy fear. If you don't have the fear of God about this stuff, I'd encourage you to get it quick. Hebrews 13, 4 says, God will judge the sexually immoral. Don't think you're going to get away with this. Don't think you're going to say to the creator of the universe, you made me God, but I know better than you. I know more about sex than you do, God. Because God's standards has never changed. 
Premarital sex is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. Living together without getting married is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. Adultery is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. Homosexuality is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. Pornography is unacceptable to God. It always has been. It always will be. And every one of those things carries with it a judgment and consequences. Now, if you've been guilty of one or all of those things, God wants to give you the chance to start over. He wants to make the rest of your life the best of your life. And if you're a single adult, God, God can help you to remain pure from this point forward until, if, and when God brings a person across your path that he wants you to marry. We don't have to get locked into our woundedness from our past. We can find healing and hope. There is a pathway back to purity. What is it? Number one, I must repent. And that means I, I agree with God. Yes, this was wrong. It's sin. I don't rationalize it. I don't excuse it. I just say it was wrong. David did this in Psalm 51 after he committed adultery with Bathsheba. He confessed and repented of what he had done. The key to repentance is you've got to do it now. If you're in the middle of an affair right now, if you're involved in some sort of uh, issue of impurity, you need to stop it now. You need to make the decision right now. It's over. It's done. It's dead. You don't phase it out over three months. You may need to go out in the parking lot and make a phone call after the service and say, you know what, it's wrong, it's over, it's done. And you stop it. Number two, you receive forgiveness. Because God is waiting. God is waiting to restore you. He's waiting to cleanse, to release you from the shame, the regret, the hidden hurts, the pain, all the stuff you can or did carry into your marriage. God wants to forgive you and wipe the slate clean. And then you refocus and replace. You just make a commitment to live morally pure by God's standard from this day forward for the rest of your life. You say, God, I, I'm only going to have sex with my spouse. God, I'm going to remain pure until I get married. You turn your attention and affection toward doing the right thing, toward the right person. And then number four, you request help daily. You ask Christ to help you manage this powerful drive in your life that he gave you. 1 Corinthians 10, 13, remember that the temptation that Temptations that come into your life are no different from what others experience. And God is faithful. When you are tempted, he will show you a way out so you will not give in to it. There is no irresistible temptation. God will show you a way out of it. You know, your sex drive will either make you a dynamic person or it can destroy you or it can make you a dangerous person. And it's your choice. God gave you your sex drive. He made you a woman to be a woman. He made you a man to be a man. And used properly, sex bonds a husband and wife together in, in a way nothing else can do. But used improperly, it destroys marriages. It destroys families. It creates misery, evokes guilt, causes shame and regret. But whatever you've done in the past... God offers you a way back. God can put you on track so you can live pure for the rest of your life. And maybe you're here today and you've realized that, that you need to get serious about your thoughts. 
I mean, you thought those fantasies and, and, and those little things that you were thinking about, that those were harmless, but you realize now that they are creating feelings that could lead to actions. And so you need to change your thoughts. Maybe you've developed an emotional attachment to someone who's not your spouse, and you realize now you need to nip it in the bud. You've got to stop that. Maybe your marriage has been shaken by an affair, and, and the truth is you can do something about it. You can haul your marriage back into dock for refitting and repair, and it will sail again. Or maybe you're a single uh, adult, and, and you're thinking, you know, I'm the only one out here who's trying to live pure. That is not true. That is not true. You are not alone. And when you take a stand, and when you decide you are going to live for Christ, and you look for other people who make that same commitment, God will help you, and you can stay pure. Let's pray together. I want to pray for you, and then I'm going to invite you to pray with me here. Father, I just thank you so much for giving us our sexuality, that you made men to be men and women to be women. And I thank you that your gift of sex, when it's used properly, it yields great results. And so I just pray for those who carry guilt and shame because of failures in this area. I pray you will help them to realize they do not have to carry that guilt one second longer. You stand ready right here, right now. They can receive forgiveness and cleansing. They can have a chance to be pure from here on out. God, may we leave here with a new resolve to live our lives purely before you. And now it's your turn to pray. Would you just in the quietness of your heart and mind just say, Jesus, you know what I've done. You know all about me. And I thank you that you still love me. And I ask you to forgive me. Clean out my life and give me a fresh start today. Lord, I want to make a commitment to your standard. Regardless of what anybody else says, what anybody else does, I want to live according to your word. For those of you who are married, would you just pray, Lord, help me to enjoy life with my mate. To stop complaining, to start putting the energy and time into courting and dating. And God, would you just help all of us to magnify the consequences of sin so that we'd be motivated to, to build moral margin, breathing space, protection, guidelines into our life that will keep us from even being tempted. God, help us to focus our life on a pure and holy lifestyle so that we reap the benefits and we honor your desire for our life. For we ask it in Jesus' name.